All right, guys, today our guest on Leadership to Wealth is out of the U.S. of A., my first U.S. guest on the show, Leadership to Wealth, and I got to tell you a little bit about him. First of all, he is out of California, and he was a student athlete, both football, baseball, and did really well, continued on through college, ended up washing out due to injury, and you can imagine the lows that came out of that ended up going on to becoming a correctional officer out of Stockton, California, and he ended up serving in Chuckawalla Valley Prison in Blythe. Now, very interesting guy, been through a lot of ups, as I said, been through a lot of downs, as I said, and came out, he's been, he's been a Freemason for many years, uh, helping out with the Lodge, loves following, you know, some of his, uh, the people that he looks up to, like Dan Pena, the trillion dollar man, when we're going to talk about that and so much more on today's episode of Leadership to Wealth. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to Cesar Rubio. Caesar, I am glad to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, you've got an interesting background. There's a number of different things that I hope we get to get into and learn about you. I, I, but I really want to just start with the that first question that I overheard that your uh, dad was in boxing and um, and how that impacted you. And if you could just share a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Um, so my dad started boxing when he was about, I think, 15 or 16 out in Baja, California, uh, Mexicali, right, yeah. which is a border uh, city in California and Calexico. And then you cross over the border and you're into Mexicali. It yeah. was that and that city was started by, you know, um, American entrepreneurs over there. Everything about Mexicali has has American entrepreneurial fingertips all over, even down to at one point, they had the world's greatest beer brewery <laughs> out of Mexicali. And um, okay. the, uh, the top notch, um, you know, person at that time of the, of the early 1900s, they wanted to go party, they wanted to have a good time. They went down to Mexicali to this small place, kind of like um, Vegas before Vegas. Okay. So, so that's where he was born. And um, it was a uh, it, the way it was created is because the the um, uh, train, the train tracks were being, you know, uh, brought in from Mexico into the United States. And the Chinese were were helping to build that. And until this day, a big Chinese uh, contingent lives in Mexicali, straight Chinese. Um, and they have their Chinatown there. Excellent Chinese food. So that's where he was. He started boxing there and he started going down to the gyms down there. So then when he met my mom and got married and he came uh, to live over here, he continued to practice and to get to the, where he got to the point where he was good enough, got recognized by some, you know, uh, a talent uh, people, scouts. And they invited him to go down to Los Angeles to try out for the United States Olympic team. Wow. Yeah. OK, so. Uh is is your is it safe to say your dad is originally uh from mexico he's from mexico he's in mexico he's okay. born okay. born and raised in mexico yes. well well i 
I mean, obviously I heard that and right, right off there is an mm -hmm. amazing heritage of boxing out of, out of Mexico. So, um, that was, uh, this is not, that wasn't difficult to, to come up with. So, uh, <laughs> but okay. So, so he had that and then he had the opportunity to, uh, try it for the Olympic team in boxing. But I want to ask the question with regards to how that impacted you yeah, uh, sorry. having so a father that was a, a boxer. I, I, I didn't get around to that. Sorry. So that was just the back. Yeah. So let me get back to answering your, your question. So gro growing up, I would watch my dad go after he got off of work, you know, yeah. uh, whether it was eight hours, 12 hours, he would come home and there's working on construction. So there, especially during the summer, it gets up to 120. They're out there working. The construction companies don't care. They got have a contract. They're going to build what they're going to build. So he would get home, um, get into his gym, gym gear, and then go into the gym that he built because he was a carpenter as well. He learned that from my great grandfather, who was a carpenter. He built his own little uh, gym out there and he would go in there and he would begin to wrap his hands. And he taught me how to wrap my hands. And then eventually he began to make, uh, teach me how to stand and how to defend and how to throw the jab and then basic things. And, you know, he began to teach me through that. He would begin to teach me stuff like, hey, son. I'm teaching you this to, so you can learn how to defend yourself, not so you can go out there and pick a fight. But mm -hmm. if if uh, if ever you're out there and someone's trying to pick a fight with you and you've done everything you can to avoid it and you try to run or whatever, hey, you turn around, and let them have it and make sure that fight ends. And but that's that's yeah. why I'm giving you this, because one day you will be out there and you will need to defend yourself like a man. And he'll, he'll always tell me these things be like a man, act like a man. Da, da, da. So, and so he, it impacted me in a great way because now when I'm at school as a kid and there's bullying going on, we didn't know anything about bullying during that time. There was no such thing word as bullying. The one thing that would come to my mind is, man, if I go home and I tell my dad that I didn't even defend myself and I got beat up by this guy, I'm going to get a second whooping from my dad because I didn't even do what he told me to do. And that's defend myself. So, you know, you have this pressure, this positive pressure on you to perform, 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 you know, and, and rise up to a level, maintain a standard. So that's that's uh, in a big way. That's how it impacted me. Wow. That that is interesting in that as a young child, you, you know, how that would impact you. And you, you're right. Times are very different now in, in the sense that we wouldn't even. I mean, bullying was just part of life, I suppose, to some degree. Um, that that was just par for the course. You might get bullied. You have to be able to defend yourself. Um, and it's interesting that it was even that your father even taught that to you. And and let me ask, what was that like for you to have that in your toolbox, to have that in your arsenal, to know that uh, you could defend yourself that way? Even though I had it in my toolbox, um, it was still scary because you're still a kid and your parents can't be with you 24-7. You know, you go to school for eight hours a day. Your yeah. dad's at work. So you, you're always trying to avoid any situation that's especially when it gets physical. Yeah. But what did happen was that eventually uh, when you did get confronted, like I did quite a number of times, and it was always by the bully. I mean, I, I never understood. You know, when I was when I was growing up younger, I was way, way thinner than what I am now. I was always the skinniest kid. So I guess it was easy target. But because of what my dad taught me and it was in there somewhere, 
you know, push came to shove, this and that. Next thing you know, I was I was fighting this kid. And I knew that even if I got uh, taken to the office or whatever, if I told my dad the truth of what happened and what I tried to do in order to avoid that fight and I ended up defending myself and now the kid's nose is broken, son, we're good. You are good and you did what you had to do and now you know why I'm teaching you this. Good job. Because if I find out later that you did not defend yourself and you allowed yourself to be bullied and you became the victim, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass too for being dumb and being a victim. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that's really interesting for me because growing up, uh, you know, I experienced a lot of racism and uh, I got bullied. Same here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I got bullied and um, I, I didn't have those tools in the toolbox as a young kid. And uh, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I, I started to get that. Let, let me ask you this question. Uh, um, Southpaw or conventional? Conventional. Conventional. Yeah. So I, I asked that because you also mentioned uh, about uh, Bruce Lee. And uh, I oh, remember yeah. studying Bruce Lee. And one of the yeah. things that he talked about was um, Switching using, up. yeah, in, yeah. in using your dominant hand as your lead so i actually learned how to uh box with uh southpaw and and i didn't even i didn't know it i was just like this is my dominant hand so i put it to the front and learned to box that way and it wasn't until i went to a chiropractor that he he said oh do you box uh southpaw <laughs> and that I even realized that I didn't even know it. So I, I'm curious. Uh, yeah. Later on when I, when I, uh, cause I did practice Jeet Kune Do, I, I okay. adopted that. So now when I square up, I, I automatically go to the Bruce Lee, you know, type where my dominant has in front. Cause yeah. you want to put, you know, all the impact in there boom, yeah. and boom and it's over. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And, and it was easier because it was my dominant hand. I can control it better here and my right leg as well. And I loved it. And, and so <laughs> that, yeah, good question. That, that Good is question. so funny because, okay, so mm -hmm. uh, you 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 might find this funny. A lot of people may not even understand this, but so when I when I box, uh, the right hand comes forward. It's the faster hand. It's dominant hand. But when I would kick, I would switch stance <laughs> because, uh, and and it was it's funny. I never really realized it because when I would uh, I went start taking again. This is all in high school years and I started taking uh, some karate classes and and so you just line up like everybody else lines up and nobody asked which is dominant which side do you want to you just we all just stood like this and you start right. learning and so as a result I realized that um, there's in my mind it's mixed up when I'm boxing and I'm gonna throw hands I switched stances and then I go back and forth. And <laughs> and then on top of that, I had my brother who was uh, a wrestler. And so I learned to wrestle as well. And that was uh, it. I will say this. As a teenage kid, finally being able to have some of those tools made me feel invincible. Invincible. Completely changed me in a lot of good ways and some bad ways too. Uh, yeah. There's uh, a dark side getting, to it. Yeah. Including getting involved in, in uh, a gang and, and these kind of things, but uh, because there wasn't any discipline that went with it. Yeah. So, 
Sorry, you, were you going to say something there? Well, uh, what you're talking about is it builds up our self-esteem and our self-confidence. And But mm -hmm. if left unchecked, it easily goes the other way. And I saw it in, in yeah. other friends that grew up with in broken families and stuff and no father mm -hmm. figure to guide them. And, and the mom's putting them in boxing lessons. And now he's beating up the friends and he's constantly bullying them. And we're like, hey, what the hell's the matter with you, man? Yeah. You know, this and that way. And later yeah. on, and I mean, now older, I understand, like, well, he just didn't have the father figure to tell him, hey, you know, well, what the hell are you doing? You don't do that. You <laughs> Okay, you want you want to do that? Do it with me. You know, and that's what my dad would do. Let me see. And bam, you know, okay. Sorry, sir. And, and then that was it. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I can easily yeah. see that. Well, that, that's, that is very true. And um, it, it's interesting that you pointed out because my, my dad uh, was indeed an alcoholic. And so w quite often that that measure between uh you know the discipline and teaching and those aspects were kind of lost in there with uh this individual when he would drink and and then had no control over those senses so uh i learned that i went from being bullied to now having the tools and becoming a bully, a bully. and uh, you, you know <laughs> because i equated it to for me, I equated it to respect. Okay, I'm I'm now gaining respect. And it wasn't until a number of years afterwards that I realized, oh, that's actually not respect. I've just flipped roles and now I'm the idiot that is <laughs> is doing to other people what they used to do to me. Yeah. But meanwhile, for you, you've you've had that that steady hand or where and you got oh, yeah. that respect. Uh, from your dad and so but now oh, yeah. for you you um you know you grew up in california and you were also an athlete and you were you you actually expected to full well be an athlete and go into professional sports yes yeah well i started playing ball and that's where i found my niche you know it, it came naturally my dad wanted to make me a boxer and he would take me out to the boxing ring and with him and into the boys club and put me to fight against other kids. And I hated it. I hated it. Right. I was just like, God, you know, so all of a sudden, uh, one of my friends, our next door neighbor were playing and they're, they hop in a truck and they invite me and they say, if I want to go play baseball, I thought they were going to go to, uh, the local school. I didn't realize that they were an organized, you know, team that, and they needed players. I didn't, I had no idea. So that show, yeah, you know, I asked permission and yeah, okay. Got my glove went with them and next thing you know i'm trying out and i make it and but because i've never played organized uh, sports like that i was struggling but um once i caught on i took the uh the uh, starting position uh for from the outfield center field then i took the leadoff position and by um by mid-season i was a starter i uh, i loved it i reveled in it i mean i was just like anything to get me away from boxing because i don't want to box anymore right but i had that but i had that still like if other teammates or another team rose up against i was right there like yeah i know what to do here but then from there and now i was 12 years old so in that first year by by the mid-season like i said i was a, the starter the starting uh leadoff hitter center fielder and by the championship game you know i was one of the you know the main reasons why we even uh, won a, a championship uh we had a good team you know but i was the spark plug i was the one that got it going i'm the leadoff hitter and then that carried over and then now i'm playing high school baseball by my senior year i have uh, uh I, I never realized that my my coach never gave me these letters but i had letters 
from uh, some uh, universities uh, and scouts from the Angels, from the Royals, from the Reds, all uh, you know, interested in me. And he told me, he says, I, I didn't want to give you all this and distract you. You're going to start to think about this. You're not going to focus on the, which he probably was right. Then I continued to play baseball. That year I won the Brian E. Smith Award uh, for Offensive Player of the Year. They gave me some money for that. I, I used it for college. I kept playing college ball. I suffered a few injuries. And then that's when like reality began to hit, you know, because these injuries were getting, were a little hard to, uh, uh, you know, heal hundred percent. Now you're playing dinged up. Now you're playing when, you know, when I was 12 years old, none of that hurt. You just got back up and everything. Now uh, you're not playing uh, 20 games in the season. You're playing 50 games fall ball and then 50 games, season and you're weightlifting and you're all day at school it's a whole different ball game and then but i was playing almost every day i played semi-pro ball my last year of college though i get hurt uh lower back injury and then but during the whole time i had in my mind uh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna sign a, a minor league contract i'm gonna go into the minors i'm gonna work my way up and let's see where it goes i, I had it in my mind but the injury and some other things you know, it wasn't meant to be. So, yes, I fully expected to be a professional athlete because even when you sign in the minors, you're officially, you sign a contract, you're professional. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just digesting the, what that it was a journey like for you. <laughs> yeah. It was a journey. What was because, it like? Because I've got to ask, I mean, you're, you're mm -hmm. thinking, I'm going to be a professional ball player and then for that to turn around and for it to be taken out of your hands, that, that could not have been, that a could not of, have been easy. It wasn't, it wasn't. And now I, I, I really do understand that when even in, even professional athletes, when they retire and then you find out later on that they're struggling with alcoholism because you're always on a high, you're, you've been trained this whole time to go to war. To jump in the arena that's that's your whole mission you know and and so you're that's you're you're geared you have a you have a uh you know a goal and the goal is to perform as best as you can there's the enemy and that's you know let's perform well against them now all of a sudden you're retired you don't have that anymore and what do you do i i didn't plan for it i didn't have any other plans i didn't you know i'm going to go to school i'm going to start a business i you don't you're not taught any of that now in college, you you have programs that teach you that 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 begin to get it in your head early. Hey, chances are there's 50 baseball players here. Chances are the majority of you are not going to go any further than this. This is this is it. This is the epitome. So, love it, take advantage of it, get your education. You know, have a have a plan B. You know, have a a, a goal to start a business or go in here, go in there, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. And they weren't really teaching us that back in 1991 when I went to college. So mm. I was all in. And then on top of that, I began to discover that a lot of these athletes were not being fair. You know, they were on steroids. They were on performance enhancing drugs. And you know, all these things began to come to mind. Like, oh, crap, no wonder that guy was that big. Man, he wasn't even, he's, he's a cheater. Like this, you know, so I couldn't even watch baseball for like two years. And because I, I, I watched baseball all the time talked about it up at, and I couldn't even see it anymore. So with regards to that, if, if you had had that knowledge of, 
knowing the other options that were available to you, would that have made a difference to you? Yeah, because now you're understanding uh, the reality. It, maybe you're not even understanding it, but you're but it's put in front of you now because the reality to to me would have been, oh, I still want to be a professional athlete, even though I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, take my courses and I'm gonna get my uh, degree in philosophy. And if all this doesn't work out, I'll be a philosophy professor, you know, somewhere. Uh, even though that yeah. is probably dangled in front of you, in your mind and in your heart, you want to be a professional athlete. You know, you want to be a gladiator. You want to be a warrior out there all yeah. the time. And so that's where your heart is at. Even though a lot of those, I found out later that a lot of those professional athletes are like supreme philosophers. They love it. They love this stuff. So it's like one and the same. I'm like, oh, man. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, would it have prefer, um, prepared me a little bit better? Yes, absolutely. It, it would have. It would have uh, helped me to adjust because there was a period when I was done playing that there was depression. I didn't know it. I didn't know it, but that's what it was. I was depressed. Like, well, I just you're just wandering around, not no purpose now. You know, there's no there. At least to me, during that time now, I know better. There is a purpose. We're here. We're talking. I'm on Neil D'Souza's, you know, uh, show. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. And and we're glad to have you here on Leadership to Wealth. And, no, and this you. is really this is really part of it is is understanding that to get to that wealth part, right? It's it's leadership to wealth. And and we always have to start with you know being able to lead ourselves and uh, before you can lead anyone else. And so I'm curious about that. You said you went into a period of depression. Uh, how about how old were you when you when you were going through that? Probably MC. I played my last year in '94, and I was 20, 21. And then you know I, I got my lower back injury, and it just wasn't wow. getting any better. And then on top of that, the research that I did, uh, all the research was uh, pointing towards they're gonna have to perform surgery. Uh, they're gonna have to fuse the you know the vertebrae, and there's a 50 50 percent sh uh, shot that it's not going to work probably even better than 50 percent chance that it's not going to work and you'll be ruined for the rest of your life and those are your only options good luck with your life thank you for coming and asking right that, and i'm like what the hell so i was walking around with that as well i'm like man i'm never going to be better you know, i hurt myself trying to achieve my goals and i know i sacrificed and and so you know at about 21 22 23 24, I would say, you know, I was just like in a daze, like in a funk, not, not really focused, just, uh, you know, just, yeah. Now, what okay. were you, what were you doing during that time? I started working in the hospitality industry. Um, mm. I, down here, there was a couple of uh, local casinos. So right away, you know, I got a job at one of the local casinos down there and, you know, working for tips, um, still playing ball because some of the guys that I went to school with and were working there. So, hey, you Caesar, you know, you want to play ball? And, uh, you know, all right. Yeah, you know, because you still have it in you. It's still in you. You, you want to go out there and compete. Yeah, you, you've been eat, breathing, and sleeping it for how many years at that point? Jeez, well, I started when I was yeah. 12. Now, so 10 years straight, intensive, yeah. nonstop, nonstop, that, nonstop. That's what you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So it was so, about that long. Okay, so so you're you're now down at the casino. You're doing that. Um, now it's interesting. Actually, let me ask you: Does it ever bother you to think that 
where medicine has come to, chances are whatever the injury was, if if that was to happen now, they they probably would be able to like oh, yeah. I'm sure it happens routinely and you'd oh, be yeah. right back up in the lineup. Does that ever bother oh, yeah. you, do you think? Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. I was um I think it was like ninety five or ninety six I was watching. I was I was finally able to watch a game. I mean I, I literally yeah. shut off two years. I could not watch it anywhere. If it, if I, we went to a, my me and my buddy went to a sports bar to have a beer and the baseball game was on, I'd be like, dude, let's get out. That's how bad it was. Like, let's get out of here, dude. Well, why not, man? Look at the girls and this and that, the beer. No, no, dude, I just can't. Let's go somewhere else, have a beer that they're not. All right. He never knew. He never knew. But, um, you know, you, 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 that's what you go through. So mm -hmm. I was watching in about 95 or 96. I was watching a baseball game, and uh, the player was uh, Gonzalez, I think, left-handed hitter, tall, slim, different physique than from the steroid era, right? They were beginning to wean away from the steroid era. In about 96, a lot of the players, they didn't want a, the controversy. They didn't want the Sammy Sosa, Mark mm. McGuire. They were under suspicion. Uh, Barry Bonds, they were under suspicion yeah. already. So uh, his name was uh, Gonzalez, tall, left-handed hitter. And so they had uh, a little clip Alex? on him. No, not Alex. Alex. No, 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 not Alex. He's, uh, yeah. This guy was a left-handed hitter. He uh, became okay. one of the best hitters, but tall and lengthy. He, he had a very unusual physique but he was like six three six four like 200 maybe a little bit but not bloated but very functional big forearms so they gave a, a little clip on him uh talking about his routine and and how he you know in baseball you have to have your core has to be strong front and back and sides because that's the core of your that's the center of your power for baseball you're pivoting you're throwing you're going this way and that way and so if your lower back or your abs are not strong you're you're going to blow it out so he began to detail his routine to strengthen all of his core and that right there i'm like there's hope um, so i like now i'm glued i'm like holy crap is this possible so then i started trying it and little by little i began to improve it took it took a long time because i was in pain there were some things that i could not do and but i just muscled through it you know, I paid attention. If it was too intense, I would lay off. But then I, I'd be stretching and then doing some of the exercises that he recommended and he was doing. And now, you know, very rarely do I have lower back pain, if any. Well, that that's fantastic to hear um, that, that yeah. you're dealing with any of that. Um, so, OK, so you, you were able to do it, uh, obviously. It's unfortunate that medicine wasn't uh, back then what it is now. But uh, yeah. okay, so you you got through it. You got through that. You you were going through that depression, and and then how did you start coming out on the other side? What what helped you to start coming out of that? And and how did you channel it? Well, that was one when I saw that game and I saw the, yeah. the interview, and then I kept watching yeah. any game with him. I would watch him. You know, you're still in doubt, but okay. And number two, you know, I've always been like an internal, I was introvert. You know, the way you see me now and talking, I wasn't like that before. So I was very introverted. So everything, you know, you're thinking and introverts are always thinking, thinking. So I was a very in tune with my thoughts and my feelings and the spiritual side. And I love to read, as you can see behind me, right? I got a bunch <laughs> of books and, but I got a, I got, yeah. I got bookshelves all over the house. You know, my wife is yeah. always on me for the books, but, but because of that, I was, I was able to bury my nose in books 
about ancient history, about ancient civilizations, about secret societies, things that really, you know, um, uh, us, you know, having our spiritual side, uh, Dr. Monroe and his uh, astral projection, you know, uh, um, uh, adventures, you know, uh, out there that he he would go to sleep and then he would wake up, but he would be outside of his body and everything that he went through was a three book series. So this thing kept my mind chewing on these mysteries and little by little I through that and my self-education and reading the book, really uh, the one that really kicked it off was reading the book Malcolm X. That really, and that, that was introduced to me by Keith Brown. Keith, if you're ever listening, if you're still out there, Thank you for that. Uh, we really hit it off working at my first job after I stopped uh, playing ball at the casino. And one day, I, and he was older than me, though. He was like 20 years older than me. But we just, you know, we clicked. And so uh, one day I asked him, hey, man, why, why do you always hang out with, you know, what, what's your deal? Why do you want to hang out with me? You're older than me. You're old, dude. You know? So now, now, now I'm the old dude, right? And he's like, you know what, man? It, it took him a while. We hung out. We started hanging out outside of work. And then uh, one day we went out to have a couple of drinks and he, he just like, you know, you know why you asked me one day why? And he says, because I have a son your age and you, you know, we, he, we don't talk. He, he and my, you know, uh, his mom and I, you know, we just, we separated and I lost t contact. I tried to get a hold of him. He doesn't want anything to do with me, but you know, you remind me of what it could have been. You're a good yeah. dude, Caesar. He's like, you have good morals, you know, you have good standing. And there's some things that we talk about fighting. I was trying to fight some dudes in there, you know, because we work for tips. Yeah. So, hey, that's a big thing. And anyway, I felt someone was trying to rob me for my tips and jump the line and do all this. So, uh, you know, my dad's side came out and I threatened him with violence and beating him up after I know where you parked. I'll wait for you. And it's just crazy. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, okay, that's a side so, story. That's a side story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll come back to that one maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. But you're, you're gonna love it. You're talking about the right time period for um, the advent of uh, the UFC and the like, because I remember when UFC one came out and we were like, especially you know if you've been trained wow. in any type. Holy crap! You're like, what the yeah. <laughs> Oh this my goodness! Great. What's yeah. going on? You know, this you watch a, watch a watch a guy come into the ring with one boxing glove on, and uh, you know, I remember that. You remember remember that? Yes, I remember that. Of course, that was like the first one, the first USC ever, I think, one or two. Yeah, yeah. Oh and yeah. Dude came dude came in with one boxing glove. Yeah, and uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> you're like, wait, I don't know what's going on, and and but it always. For the first time, you were getting a chance to see how does this stuff all match up, and you how know, does it does uh, it really work? It, it was the real life Kumite, yeah, right, going on right awesome. in front of our eyes, right, and yeah, uh, and then this awesome. this gangly guy beats out this muscular dude. Ken Shamrock gets beaten by this skinny oh, guy Gracie, in a yeah. Yeah, by the Gracie, yeah, yeah by right. Gracie, yeah. right? Yeah, like. What and, and, and then what is this? Yeah, what is, yeah, what is this grappling? Like what the hell? Yeah. What, yeah, you're still trying to wrap your head around yeah. that uh that Shamrock lost, let alone what is this style? Like what what ha what yeah. happened? Like what just happened? Yeah. yeah. So so now I'm curious because yes, you you you've got this background in fighting and all this. You've got you've got it in your blood. 
you've you've got it there and all this stuff's happening did was there ever any influence or thought hey maybe i should check that out or go down any of those roads no uh, no because like i said i didn't like the training the 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 mm. discipline for boxing and all that later on i, I started uh, grappling and uh, doing jeet kune do and i loved it that yeah. was a whole i was a different person uh, be, i think because of those because of where i was in it didn't come into my mind but you're right i mean it could have just as easily come in and say you know what because of this and nothing's going right and i didn't get what i wanted let me go beat up on some people you know and crank their mm. arms and crank their necks and and this and that but uh no it never crossed uh, my mind no <laughs> no that's great i well it it occurred to me that mm. i'm glad that uh that ufc came along at the point it did because if it had come along uh, just a little bit sooner, I mm. I think I might have gone down that road. It because I remember I ended up studying uh, some uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that, and getting into actually training and and learning it it just opened up a whole nother world uh, that I loved. Right, being able to know what you're doing, yeah, is uh is just a whole nother world of confidence. Right. Yep. Uh, not that you want to hurt the other person, but I, I hear from you uh, a love for competition. I hear that you love competition. Yeah. yeah you, I mean, my wife is always telling me, I mean, you know, you always want to win. Da, da, da. You know, you can't you, you can't stay still until you win. And I'm like, really, am I? Am I? But you know what? It, it, it Yeah, it, it, it probably is. Like from people from the outside looking in that finally get to know me or probably and you're picking up on it now. You're like, hey. You know, you're a highly competitive. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Okay. What, what are you trying to win at today? Yeah. Um, the Having the best interview with you and trying to uh, share some knowledge and, and uh, wealth, you know, with uh, whoever's going to be your listeners so they can learn from our mistakes and do better than us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so um, you know, trying to be the... <laughs> Because I'm curious if 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 that competitive nature is in you, it it probably permeates through all all different aspects. How do you see it come out in your for you now? How do you see that uh, competitive nature? Yeah, it's more focused. Uh, mm -hmm. I know the um, I know the consequences of of you know where if I begin to apply too much on this side, what is gonna you know what what can possibly happen. Uh, going too hard you know i've been a member of uh non-profit organizations where also you know you got to be highly competitive not in a bad way but to get things done you know and to make things better you you gotta you gotta have a drive and that drive begins to come out and when it begins to come out i gotta rein the back or my wife be like hey you're starting over again you know stop it okay you know and i gotta go and relax and luckily you know i still exercise and everything so i have a, i have outlets to release this energy and 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 just chill out and not be as intense all the time, which I'm not. I'm pretty mellow most of the time. But if I really sink my teeth into something, yeah, I'm going to begin to go that way. Go, 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 go. And just next thing you know, I'm all in. And, and I, that's what I do. Are you more competitive and driven now? Or or were you more in competitive, uh, more competitive and driven back then when you were younger? I I believe it's about the same. The only difference being I'm older and wiser. Okay. And, but, but, um, 
And what I mean by that is when I was younger, you know, all that competitive energy was was flushed into exercise and sports and that's it. And then now with uh, being married, having a wife and children, um, I, I, you know, being I'm medically retired now from my job, but I, I still am active with some local groups and things like that. You know, I, I learned that I still have that competitive edge. Like if there's something that I really like, I want, I want to grab on, grab a hold of it and make it as best as I can. And let's get together and let's rally. Let's do this. And da, 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 da. but I find that other people aren't. So, so I learned to refocus. Okay. You know, and then, and, and now continue to use my energy, focus my energy where it's going to create the best, the best uh, outcome for me, for you and for everybody. Mm. Um, and, and do you find that you're more focused now than you, than you were before? Yeah, uh, I am now. Yeah. What, what, yeah. what makes, uh, what, what made the difference? What changed for you that, uh, allowed you to hone your focus? Well, life, I mean, we, we've been talking about a lot of it right now, uh, going back, uh, to, uh, college and then, you know, all through those years that I was in my funk, I started getting out of my funk and then, yeah. Uh, join the work world, you know, and that's something that I never wanted to do. I never wanted to join the work world. I never wanted to work for anybody. I wanted to play professional sports, uh, take care of my family, take care of me and everybody. But in learning through those experiences, dealing with other people, dealing with other personalities, wanting to beat them up, calling them out, you know, I mean, just all over the place, right? Yeah, when I tell my my wife that, she's always like, you're a bully, you're trying to bully everybody, and this and that. And like, no, it's just, my dad taught me, don't be a victim. Don't let other people take advantage of you. And when I see that and I feel that, I react. That's mm -hmm. that's all it is. It's not me trying to be a bully. It's like, hey, you're, whatever you're trying to do to me or whatever I think, I'm going to react to that and I'm going to, you know, just stop. And yeah. so, so all of those lessons and has helped me to focus more because you begin to realize what's priority. You begin to prioritize. When you're young, you don't prioritize. You're, Hormones are going crazy. You're going to college, the girls and, you know, beers and all kinds of crap. And now let's fight and F you. No, F you. Well, let's write. You know, it's, just, it's all kinds. Of, it's like a whirlwind. It's just all happening. Yeah. You're full of, of vigor, you know, and and, yeah. and you can drink all night and wake up the next morning and go to practice like nothing. And it's just uh, it's just chaos. It's just, yeah, there's no focus. There's no, it just just, you know, you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. As you get older and you realize, hey, I can't do that no more. Mm. You're like, hey, let me slow down. Let me focus, <laughs> prioritize, pump the brakes. <laughs> It'll be there. Just, just, hey, it's, it's really like we got to do this and this and this first. And right. then we can have that. You know, so and, discipline, 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 and then reward yourself. And, and what was that like, um, you know, being with inmates? Because you were, you were in corrections and uh working with inmates now i i don't know to what level or what degree you're you mm -hmm. want to share or able to but what was what was that experience like eye-opening yeah. uh you get to see incarcerated individuals that have uh pretty much for all intents and purposes lived out the whole of their lives in there either in and out or you know they they committed a crime when they were 15 or 16 went to juvenile hall and they got 20 years and when they were of age they went to a you know male you know a, a, an adult prison and now they're serving out their sentence so they, they they've been in there incarcerated and and uh, institutionalized 
And you, you know, you see all kinds of, uh, um, you see what the lack of attention, lack of focus, uh, don't get me wrong. Some of those are highly focused guys. They're, they're there because they're good at what they do. They just got caught, but, um, uh, their, their living conditions and, and, um, you know, they, it's, it's a negative environment. It's a negative environment and you got to do everything you can to not allow yourself to go to their level somehow maintain. So it's a struggle. And then you adopt a lot of their modalities because that's all they know. You know, they don't, they don't know a, you know, excuse me, sir. You know, can you please move it? They're like, what the hell? What, what is this weak bastard doing? Oh, you know, but, and so they don't respect you. So you got to come in and bam, hey, dummy, what are you doing? Get the hell out of the way. You know, da, da, da. so if you're not used to doing that and that's not your part of your nature, you're going to have a struggle coming. You're, you're going to it's a it's a 180 from what you're used to. Like, you know, it's not like, hey, hey, Neil, thanks for having me on the show. And da, 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 you know, all these. Nah, no, nah, there is that, that doesn't exist in there. Yeah. Well, I, I'll I'll tell you a little secret. I don't know if my producer uh, mentioned this to you. I yeah. I I used to work with corrections here in Canada okay. uh, for a couple of years, and uh, now having grown up on the streets, um, you know, being in gangs stuff like that, I actually got along quite well with the uh, with the inmates. Um, yeah, the guys I had the trouble with were the other uh, were the other officers. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a way to communicate. Don't get me wrong. Um, there is a uh, amongst the the inmates. There is yeah. a code of conduct. Yeah. And as soon as you learn it, you go by that. And that's it's simple. You know, hey, if you want respect, you got to give it. Fair, firm, and consistent. So I'm me, and I'm fair, firm, and consistent. You already know my pet peeves. Get out of my way. And I'll get out of yours. You know, it's as simple as that. Yeah. But if I see you doing something. That you're not supposed to, I'm gonna get you. It's yeah. as simple as that. So just you know, and, and you're right. Yeah, you're right. And the, a lot of the CEOs uh, that go in there, you know what, man? They, I don't know. They, they were the guy that never got picked on the team. They were the guy that you know, the unpopular kid. They were the guy, and now they're the lieutenants and the you know captains, and they they're like living out their dream to, you know, be the man now or or something like that. It's it's kind of strange. Well, I'll, I'll share something with you. I, I used to work with um, with national defense as well here. And I used to see our soldiers that would go over to Afghanistan and when they were coming back. And, you, you know, you got uh, I got to see PTSD, you know, or I got yeah. to see these guys. And one of the things with going to corrections afterwards that I noticed was that I started to see some of these same things <laughs> yeah. in in the COs, yeah. um, but it's a jail is not considered a theater of war, so no one would ever diagnose any of that stuff as PTSD or even recognize it or see the need to rotate guys out to another part. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts on on that? Having yeah. having actually done it, yeah. And um, because we we obviously we, a lot of uh, ex-military gravitate towards law enforcement. And so we have a lot of uh, ex-military ex in corrections from all branches. 
and they love it. They love the structure. They love the hierarchy. You still get to wear a uniform. You know, it's da 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 da. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, this and that. And then, but a bunch of cool guys too. But yeah. what I can tell you, yes, it's not a theater of war per se, but it is. It's a theater of war psychologically because you've got to be on your toes. These guys are conniving. They're cunning. They are preying on you and they smell out weakness like this. The moment they see uh, you bend the knee to one, you're done. You're bending the knee to all of them. So the psychological and the emotional, you know, so as you're driving to work, I had an hour and 20 minute work. As, as I leave the house, I'm at a one. 20 minutes into the drive, I'm, I'm at a two or three, right? uh you know an hour into the drive i'm like maybe a six or seven and right as we're getting into the parking lot i'm maybe a nine and then once i relieve my partner and i'm in my work area i'm at a 10 now constantly up here right and so this is psychological and emotional uh you know and i remember one story i went in there and I would do my walk around once I made sure I had all my equipment and I, I'm going to do a security check. It was just, that's what I'm going to do where I work. So I go to security check and uh, I caught in an inmate doing something he wasn't supposed to. So after he comes to me later and he says, hey, Rubio, you know, why didn't you, uh, you know, how come you didn't give me a warning? I said, I did give you a warning. No, you didn't. You know, all the other SEALs give you a warning. I said, I gave you a warning. He's like, when? I go, didn't you see me when I walked into the dorm? Yeah, that was your warning. <laughs> you put him on notice. Look, when I walk in that door, that's it. That's your warning, dummy. You know, so no, you and can't have whatever I took from you. No, you can't have it back. That's mine now. How so did that, he respond that, to that? He took put his head down and he turned around and all his buddies were waiting behind him because they wanted to hear what Rubio was going to tell him because they knew, you know, that I was witty, you know, that I would have my little zinger. So they were laughing at him. They, they were just, they, hey, Rubio, I tried to tell them not to come over here. Like, I, I know. I just him. You know, just. So, you know, you develop a rapport with these guys. You know, yes. A lot of those yes. guys. Yes. So, yeah, well, that was my warning. So it, it it's funny. I, I'll I'll tell you this story too. I um I actually had one of the CEOs come up to me and say, "You're too happy to work here," and uh, and then as it turned out, I it was true. It was true. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, because I just I I was ref, I refused to resign to that's mm. this is just how it has to be, right? And right. Uh, right. forever and and it's unfortunate that a lot of individuals. I've, I've even had some other friends that have gone into it and uh, I've actually recommended against it because I've said it, it's a lot to be in that space every day, every day, for, you know, for going in, coming out years. Yeah. Exactly. It takes its toll. And yes. sometimes you don't realize when you're wearing the uniform and when you take it off. Right. Oh, yeah. I've been accused of that already many times. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So now, now you, um, you obviously ended up, uh, leaving, um, with, with, uh, injury designation. Is that correct? Yeah. I got medically retired from there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so now that's, uh, that's the second time for you. I mean, it happened to your baseball career and then it happened yeah. there too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, I was do I was doing my job, uh, helping a partner there. It was it happened, you know, the injury was sustained during, you know, the the uh, me fulfilling my civic duties, yeah, uh, basically, and and um, didn't realize it at the time. I just the adrenaline's pumping, and then uh, once the adrenaline begins to wear off, and you begin to feel the little aches and pains, you know, from uh, altercation or anything like that. And that's what began to happen. It happened to be my knee, and. So now, yeah, it's the second time and I'm going through it. And now I got to go to, uh, you know, doctor's appointments and I got to get x-rays and MRIs. They got to see why I'm not improving. They got to see why and this and that, you know, well, I slammed my knee on the, on, uh, on the pavement. And so it, it tore my meniscus and it tore my cartilage and had just bam, you know, so now it was just bone on bone. Every once in a while, it's just bone on bone. And that, and that if no one is there, anybody listening if they, if you've never felt what bone and bone feels like, I don't want you to feel what bone and bone feels like. It's horrible. It's just a, like a shock, like just a bam when it hits it. You're like, whoa! It, your whole body tightens up. So that happens. I, I I'm going through this. That whole process for them to medically retire me it took two years. And in the whole time, I'm wondering what am I going to do now? Like I can't go back over there. The doctors uh, are agreed. You know, you can't ever do that again uh, because. Uh, you know, when people ask me, well, you know, they ask me about that. I try to put it as simply as I can about what a CEO has to do at the job. And the best way I can describe it is this. I either have to be able to run to alarm because if you're my partner and the alarm is where you're at, I got to run towards you because you're getting beat up, right? Or something. I got to think the worst. Or I got to be able to wait, to run away from the inmates who are trying to beat us up. If I cannot run, I'm a liability to anybody I work with. Why would I want to work with you? If you were my partner and I knew that you had a shot out and you could not run, why would I? And I would tell you, I told several of my partners, why the hell are you here, man? You're putting everybody in danger, including some of these inmates. Because what if they get beat up and we got to go run and try to break it up and you can't because you're over here all gimp. Yeah. I, I had I, I had an, an ex-military uh, boss at one point, and uh, he he was um, he was bomb disposal, and um, and then what happened was uh, he was out doing training one time, and he thought he was stepping into a puddle, and it the puddle was the 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 hole was about that deep, you know, and so he. Uh, he stepped into it, tore his knee all up, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know he ended up doing. He had to get a whole bunch of work done to it. They ended up taking out everything. They ended up fusing the knee together. They had to Holy fuse the whole moly. thing together. It, complications no, during surgery. No right? good. Yeah. No good. Now I I, I I say this story because it touches <laughs> on what you were just sharing. He um, when it all happened, they were like, uh, "Sorry, you you know." Yeah, I guess we can't do anything. And he was like, well, uh, I'm not going to leave. Like, <laughs> I'm not leaving. And they and they said, well, what are you going to do? You're not going to be able to pass the, the qualifications, the physical. He was like, yeah, you want to bet? And so <laughs> what did he do? He, you know, he had to do the, the, the five mile run with his rucksack and everything. And, uh, you know, he, he did the run and he passed it in time, even with one leg 
you know, basically a peg leg. It was fused together. He <laughs> ran it. He did it. And uh, they were like, uh, I guess we got to put him back in duty. And he continued doing it. And he actually told me a story of having to uh, deal with a uh, with munitions. And he was dragging this thing out of the water. And as he's dragging it out of the water with one leg, right? He, he gets it up onto the, onto the water, onto the beach. And he, uh, and then as he's sitting there, he's looking at this and he said to himself, okay, well, clearly I know that this thing is uh, deactive, but is not activated. But um, he's like, what if it was, I wouldn't be able to perform in My the duties. way. Yeah. Yeah. In the way yeah. that I need to. And I'd be putting everybody else at risk that's out here. And, so after that, then he said, okay, I'll, I'll go. Because he realized that he was going to be, uh, he was going to be a hindrance to everybody a liability. else, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I got, I yeah. got asked by many of my partners, nah, you just come, man. If, if the alarm sounds, I'll run for you. And I just couldn't. I said, nah, man, I can't do that. Mm. I can't be, uh, I'm not going to be the liability. I just told two or three other CEOs. I just told them off. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? Excuse my language. Yeah. Well, what are you doing here, man? You're a liability to everybody, dude. I mean, they ended up leaving like later. Maybe it, it worked on their mind, you know, their conscience. Yeah. But that's the way I felt. I'm like, what the hell? Man, yeah. now the whoever finds out, they're gonna just use that. And and but I, I didn't want to be the liability. It was something me. I, I I couldn't do it because I loved my job, number one. I, I did. I had some great partners. There were some funny things that happened. There was a uh, uh there was movie stars that were in there. Yeah, that one movie star was from uh, the forty-year-old virgin. The uh, you know the Hindu guy, the the Hindu guy, and the other the not the old Hindu guy. That guy was hilarious, but the guy that he was with, there was there was two. Uh, I remember the I, old. I, guy. I can't say there's Hindu. <laughs> huh? Yeah, okay. The old guy, yeah. the old bald guy. Yeah. And then there was another guy. Okay, that other guy was yeah. in the prison down there, and I recognize him. I'm like, hey man, are you? And he's like, yeah, because everybody had been asking him, right? And he's like, yeah. So um, even what he did to go in there, I'm not going to say it here, right? I don't want to embarrass him. Uh, what, what, even what he did and what, how it was written was hilarious. I mean, this, this stuff, this, and this guy was hilarious. And I go, hey, you got any uh, funny stories uh, that, that, you know, that have happened here since you've been incarcerated? He's like, oh, man. He's like, I got such great stories. Like, but I'm not going to tell anybody because I'm writing a book. So when I get out, He's all, everyone's going to know all the funny stuff that I've seen, funny stuff the CEOs have done, funny stuff that inmates have done. To, I mean, just, I'm like, oh man, you bastard, you better not have me in there. He's all, no, he's, I'm just talking about where I've come from, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let, let, let's change gears a little okay. bit because right, I, I know we could, we could probably talk about oh, a yeah. lot of Our funny first. stories from there. Yeah. Um, so so now fast forward, you've, you've gotten out of there, you, you know, you've kind of had to redo a, a, another recovery and all of that, but, uh, where, where did you go from there? How, where, where did you, uh, move your, uh, career? Cause I know that you have, you have some mm -hmm. strong, uh, thoughts, uh, about when it comes to the world of finances as well. Yeah. And and so how did how did you go from there? Something happened to bring you into that into the world into that world. Well, I mean, when when I was working in corrections and maybe a little bit right before, um, 
I, I was told books. whatever we do, do not ask you about crypto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, we can talk about that. We cannot talk about that. Okay. I, okay. I, I have my thoughts. I have okay. my thoughts. I, you know, I have my, you know, um, because I don't fully understand crypto, but okay. um, going back to finances, it just began to fascinate me, especially how gold and silver work, why we weren't on the gold standard anymore and the silver standard. Uh, that forced me to go back to the U.S. Constitution and what a dollar really was, you know, uh, uh, according to the Constitution and, and according to the Constitution, it's 375 fine grains of silver and what have you and this constitutes a dollar a dollar you know that came from spain because during that time uh that the constitution was being written and we we're trying to formulate a new government for the 13 colonies they were scouring scouring the world and history as well monetary history to find out what the best system of of money at that time was and what the purest um how how they can measure silver who measured silver the, the the best right and that was the spanish which is where the word dollar comes from because it, it was a dollar right so we adopted that and so that that just started me on a whole on a whole mission of trying to understand money trying to understand finance yeah a silver i got a bunch of those yeah silver yeah. eagle right there silver eagle yeah so i and because of that i ended up buying and, and investing in some of that as well but um, understanding the theory behind economics, understanding uh, how uh, money has controlled the world from Hammurabi's time in the Sumerian Empire and Babylon, all the way through the Egyptian Empire and, and you know, uh, Sparta and all these empires that, that it, people don't, just don't put this stuff together because they don't teach us. And it fascinated me because I, I love ancient history and ancient civilizations, but no one ever taught me how money influenced their decisions or not their decisions so i got into it and you know some of these books like a lot of these books behind me are money and finance and ancient history and combining the two oh my goodness now now you really got me excited i mean oh yeah you let's just, do it you, you just started saying all sexy words there uh hey you know um hey i'm prime pumping I, the machine let's do it <laughs> like so in i don't Okay, we, we got to talk a little bit about yeah, money slow down. there. Yeah, slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got to yeah. talk a little bit about money here because okay. I think that there is what doesn't get talked about very much is uh, the impact of money on civilizations. Um, and because there's a lot of a lot or empires, there's a lot of different empires um that we've seen rise and fall and a lot of times people attribute it to um their might or the might of another empire that then has come along but what i've seen in my study has been a lot of the times it has a lot to more to do with with uh, monetary policies and their and their or lack of monetary policies or how they've been doing it. And you watch as the money all flows somewhere else and, and that empire just shrivels away. Like I'll, I'll just throw out one quickly and then, and then I'll let you take it off. Like the, yeah. the Romans, the Romans had so many, uh, so many soldiers in so many other countries, they're sending money out to all these places that those places are doing great. But Rome itself is falling apart. Yeah. 
So yeah. can, can you give us a little bit of your thoughts on, I, I'm curious, give, give us a little bit of your thoughts on monetary history. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so how I understand it, and you know, this is through my studies and, and, and so I'm just going to throw out there how I began yeah. to formulate it. Yeah. And that is that, um, first of all, um, when you're talking about an empire and you're talking about uh, the falls of empires and, and wars happening over, first of all, when two countries go to war, they have to be able to finance that war. So yes. let's, just talk, let's just talk about ancient times. Let's go to Sparta and whoever else they're going to war with. <laughs> so, right? Uh, yeah. getting excited already yeah, come on yeah well let's it's, it's go. gonna get good yeah it's about to go we're about to go deep in this so let's just say sparta is going to war against uh not the persians but uh, you know another greek city state because they were always fighting each other yeah that's right they're gonna yeah. need money to finance the war what does that mean people are like well what does that mean well you you have to train the soldiers you have to have a place for them to where to train you have to be able to feed them consistently you got to be able to uh, clothe them. You got, and the number one thing is you you got to be able to arm them. Where are you going to get your weapons, right? Where and how are you going to pay for all of this? This has to be paid for from somewhere. Usually, it comes from that country's treasury. Now, where, uh, what is someone has to agree on? Hey, this piece of copper has value. So we can use gold, we can use whatever, but if the two people do not agree that that piece has a value or it equals something, there is no commerce, there is no trade. So now, okay, we got to go to war. We need money. We need, to, we need to fund this thing. How are we going to fund this thing? And meanwhile, the other side is thinking the same thing. How are we going to fund this war? Well, let's get allies, okay? Where are they going to get money from? Well, I don't know. Let's get other allies. You know, where, where are they going to get money from? Eventually, so let's just say they have a little, each one has a little stake. And the one with the best trained soldiers and the best weapons generally wins and the best strategy, right? But let's just say, let's just throw a complete curveball in here. All right. Let's just say that in that time, that we're talking about Spartan time and the Greek city-states and Persia was a big power over there. Let's just say that in that time, there was a group of international bankers and they had the means to go in and dig for gold and silver and just accumulate it. And they had, what was the means? Slavery. Slaves were constantly going in there and digging and digging and digging. On the other side, maybe two days away from them, there is a, another tribe, and they specialize in producing the greatest weapons, top-notch. So the guys send their spies out, and they find out, hey, Sparta wants to go and kick someone's ass, and those guys, they want to fight against them too. Hey, why don't we do this? Why don't I send out two emissaries? You go to Sparta, you go to Athens. You, when you get to Sparta, you tell them, hey, man, we heard you're not good with Athens. We hate them, too. That's why we're here to talk to you. We can help, you know, da-da-da, and, you know, and, and this, this, this go and, and put it on them, and we'll get, oh, yeah, well, how are you going to help? Well, um, by helping finance your war. How? 
well, here's, you know, we got gold and silver and this and that. Okay. But we need weapons. I'm glad you said that because we know some guys that are producing some of the best weapons. So let's give you 20 pieces of gold and you go and buy your weapons. In the meantime, they were in Athens. They're telling them the same thing. Hey, we, you know, you want to go to war with Sparta. We hate them too, man. And that's why, that's why we're here. We want to fund your war. We want to help you win. Da, da, da. And well, how are you going to help us? Well, we got gold. Okay. And uh, well, how much will you lend us? You know what? Because we like you, we'll lend you 10 pieces of gold. Oh, but, you know, we still need to buy weapons. I'm glad you said that because we know the weapons makers over there. So they go and they, got, they get their weapons, but they only have 10 pieces of gold. Sparta has 20. Who's going to win? Sparta. They're going to be able to buy the most weapons. They're going to be able to buy the better weapons, right? In the meantime, the international bankers lent money to both of them, so they don't care who wins. And when the war is over, come and pay up to both Sparta. And, and this is some of the, maybe the background that's happened. Maybe this is ancient. Maybe this goes far back in time. But it was money that was, that was controlling this. And, and it was the control of who gets how much money. And to fund their war, right? And buy their weapons and, and what have you. Because if if one guy only has 10 cannons and the other guy has 20, and, and but he's got a boatload of cannonballs and this guy doesn't have any, who's going to win? Well, the guy with the more weapons with this, you know, but, but he had to have gotten money from somewhere. Where did this money come from? That's why they say that in Sparta, there's a king that all of a sudden he gets up all his soldiers and they just all of a sudden out of nowhere go and attack this unknown place for no reason they're saying now that the reason was that he figured out who these money lenders were and he went to go crush them and take take their money and get them out of uh, get them out of the picture and now come back so because there's no reason why we never find out why sparta felt the need to become militarized a hundred percent nobody knows that we just know that they are that they were and they were the greatest but there is no reason why so sparta uh went after the money lenders and crushed them and then therefore they were free they were not bound to anybody anymore and now but now we have a monster right we have sparta and they didn't want to trade with anybody we know that they were very selfish uh they were very tight-knit they didn't like really they, they didn't we kind of got an idea in the movies, the 13, the 300, and then the one after that with uh, Themistocles and the Athens where they finally joined forces and to defeat the Persian Empire. But they let us know that the Spartans didn't want anything to do with that. You guys fight for your freedoms and all that. We're good. We have 30,000 Spartans. Anybody that comes, bring it. Let's see, let's see how far they get. And on top of that, we're not indebted to anybody you know, where we're, we, we are masters of our own. We're, tru we're truly free, is what they were saying. So they're not lying when they said, you know, you know, tell Xerxes he's fighting with free men here, that, that they were not lying. And isn't it interesting that in that movie, they, they present uh, the Persian emissary. With, he was giving a lot of money to uh, one of the uh, Spartan uh, emissaries or senators, right? He, he yeah. sold out, in other words, to, to them. So... The Spartans were somehow aware of this. And this is nothing new. I got this from a book called The Babylonian Wall, mm -hmm. where it talks about finances and it talks about ancient civilizations, money, what money is, what money isn't.
But that's some of my ideas of, of how that goes. The economics, it doesn't matter what economic system you have. If you are inflating, like what they're doing now here in the United States, if you are in a fiat system, which we should never be in because it's easily you can easily inflate and, and deflate, ruining people's uh, wealth and ruining their 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 little nest eggs and, and what have you because it, it gets devalued, right? Your, your money's locked in a 401k or a 457. You have no mm -hmm. way of bringing it out, right? But uh, if, so you can print out money all you want, but if you don't have control over how much is printed, you don't need to print a lot. Benjamin Franklin said that the only reason why we went to war with England was because England took away the colony's abilities to print their own money interest-free. When England found that out, they said, you are going to not print any more money. And if you do, you're going to pay interest to us. As soon as that happened, inflation went up, debt went through the roof, there's poverty everywhere, and now we can't even pay England back. And now they're leaving us no choice uh, but to go to war. Because in war, what do you do? In war, you wage three wars. Psychological war one, you want to break them mentally first. And if you can't do that, you wage economic war. You inflate their money, you somehow, you know, attack or uh, somehow get into their economic system and inflate the, the money and print as much as you want. And it just devalues their system. And when that doesn't work, now you have no choice but to go into all out physical war. And, and what's behind it? Money, money and power. Right. That's what's behind it. So that's some of my thoughts on. Mm -hmm. on economics and currency and what have you well i i mean <laughs> we could we could talk on this one a lot i mean obviously i've uh i've i've got a certain amount of uh beliefs and study in the areas of right. uh, real real money real money because uh, because we, we know that in 71 uh nixon took the u.s off completely. of Com off the gold standard yeah, yeah. completely right yeah. i mean the the value is already off. Everyone already knows that it was. There was already a disparity. There was more money being printed, even yes. though they were saying that it was a dollar. Uh, one ounce of gold was worth. Uh, I think they said at the time seven, but it wasn't even that at that point in time. But then once they took, once they took the U.S. off, the entire world flo started floating against the U.S. dollar at that point, and. Um, now, for those that don't know, how did the how did the U.S. even how did the world even get onto the U.S. dollar? We know that after World War II, because like you were sharing, the U.S. was the ones that was producing the the vast amount of munitions uh, for the war, so they were getting paid primarily in gold. They, of course, became the powerhouse with uh, all the gold in Fort Knox. Yeah. Um, and yep. so it only made sense to back everyone onto the U.S. dollar, and by by all logic, that did indeed make sense. But then once Nixon took the U.S. and by default the world off of the uh, the gold standard, everything started floating. Now we've we've watched, I, I mean, for a hundred years. Never mind from when Nixon took. We've watched as the dollar has continued to devalue in Canada just as much as in the States. So, so the question is, if we know they're going to continue devaluing the dollar, 
what are we supposed to do? Good question. Uh, number one, obviously, we got you have to educate yourself. You have to understand the machinery, right? The Federal Reserve mm -hmm. System itself, people think the Federal Reserve System, uh, they get the notion, oh, it's an evil system. It's not an evil system. It's just created and it works the way it works. Um, and people, uh, because you can have a fiat system as long as, the, where we run into a problem, like I said earlier, is that when you begin to print out more money than what we need, it devalues whatever cash you have on hand. So if they were just to print out what we needed, just just to uh, to help facilitate commerce and make it run faster, mm -hmm. then our every every single dollar would be, you know, very very precious. It, it would be yeah. Uh, which was, which was say, the point? That was the that point. Was, yeah, that was a point. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, the, the Federal Reserve System. Now, when you study the Federal Reserve System, which is why I said you got to study the money system, right? You got you to gotta study, like what Mike Maloney says in his Hidden Secrets of Money series, you know, one through nine or 10. I forgot what it is. I love that. I watch, I let my boys, I make my boys watch that because what he's breaking down is exactly what we need to do. It's a precursor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got that one too. Love that book. <laughs> love that book. Great. Um. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Michael Maloney's. Uh, what is it? Michael Maloney's uh, uh, guide, guide to, to investing, investing in gold and silver. Yeah. 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 And so you have to educate yourself. Michael Maloney says it at the beginning of every single one of his videos for the hidden secrets of money is that the greatest investment you can ever make is in yourself and educating yourself on how money works, world finance, all of this stuff that that is being uh, used against us. This has been a weapon that has been used against us because we just we're just floating along with the rest of the stream. But the few who do understand it and begin to um, <clears throat> begin to use it, eventually they begin to what I say. You know, the Federal Reserve System is a money making system, and what and, and it, you get to the point where if you understand it enough, you attach yourself to that money making system somehow. And how, how do you do that? Well, the way I'm seeing it is by investing, by uh, investing in gold and silver, by investing a little bit of, of the crypto, crypto technology, not so much the crypto coins, but the, the blockchain and what have you, because that's where the real investment is. That's where the real value is, right? And you begin to allow this, uh, the interest to accumulate and build more and more. And then the, 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 the uh, one of the biggest mysteries in the universe, right? The, the mystery of compound interest. Nobody really understands it, but we know that it works. We know that it begins to happen. And once it reaches what about a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars, if it's if you're accumulating a five to ten percent interest on that hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, all of a sudden it just begins to blow up. It just really begins to to so we got to educate ourselves. We no matter what, even if it's war, what we're talking about, if it's sports, uh, sports medicine. We, but especially this, guys, because it has such control over everything we do. Money is freedom, right? If the more money you have, the more freedom you have to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to do it. You can travel wherever you want to go, all this stuff. But if not, then you're going to be stuck along you know, with the rest of the majority of the people. So education is the key. Education yeah. and the desire and the discipline to want to do it, to understand it. because. Let's face it. A lot of people, uh, you know, uh, you know why well, are we talking about money? You know, <laughs> well, I've I've got to ask this because okay, for you and I growing up, 
I, I'm I'm quite confident there there just wasn't the availability yeah. of information yeah. as there is now. I mean, b- back when when we were growing up, the librarian was a powerful person, <laughs> right? They were yeah. the keeper of yeah. all of that knowledge that was in the library, and that's where you had to go to if you wanted to to get it. We didn't realize the value that was in there. Most of us didn't realize the value. But now information is everywhere. People are sharing it all to the point that most people don't even, they're inundated by it and they don't even know what to believe. So my question is, what, what's, what would you do, you know, if you had to go back and, but, you know, you're now an 18 year old man. You know, you're a 19 year old, 20, actually, we'll, we'll go to 2021 because that's when you were making your transition. Mm-hmm. How in the world do you even get started to bring yourself through there? Because, I mean, to, there's so much information. How did they even decipher what to believe and what not to believe? Uh, through the money, the we're talking about yeah. money still? Yeah. How would I do it? Um, or what as a 20 year old, 21 year old, um, I would number one, um, go through a history kind of like what Michael Maloney did go through a history of, of money in different empires. How, uh, especially going back to what, uh, Lira was it Lira and where they first minted their first gold coin, oh, I think, yeah. or silver coin. I think it was uh, yeah. Lira somewhere, somewhere in Greece yeah. was the first time. And they, because of that, uh, they began to spend too much and they had to begin to cut the, you know, the actual purity of it and they had to mm-hmm. put alloys, different alloys. So now you, you right. didn't have all the silver into it. So I would, I would do that first so they can understand how easily it gets manipulated, where money started, the actual first real money. Because before then you had seashells, you had beads, you had, you know, and, and again, yeah. it was something that the two parties had to agree upon. Hey, you know, these three beads equals a cow or, you know, whatever, whatever it was. But now you had gold and we were enamored by it. And like I was telling Wyatt in the conversation, we don't even know why we're enamored with gold. We don't know why. We don't know why we're enamored with the stars. You know, we're in a dark enough space with no light pollution and we look up, we're just stunned, right? We're like, what the, what is this? Like, I didn't realize there were so many stars out there. Yeah. Now, why am I saying that? Because we're so enamored with gold. We're so enamored with the stars. And when you realize that the only time gold is ever made is when a star explodes, you're like, what the hell? That's the only time. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's the only okay. time. And, 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 and so is it something like when we see gold, we, we somehow intuitively like this, this is like, from out there like this is godly like you know it, it fell from the heavens and I, I don't know but we don't know what what our fascination is with gold we don't know what our fascination is with silver but it was very easy for the people for the parties to say yeah yeah that's that's valuable let's begin to use it as real money right because there's a difference between money and currency that's another thing that right. i would begin to teach yeah my 20 year old self the difference yeah. between money and currency and then lastly, I would, um, because it's such a, it's a living example, study the Federal Reserve 
and what they do and how they actually came into being, what they did, how they print money out of nowhere and then charge you interest. And if someone's getting rich off of this thing, you know, the, and uh, if you counterfeit, because that's what they're doing. But if you and I do it, we're going to jail. They do it and they no, they, no, but that's that's our game. That's our game. But if you do it, you're going to jail because that's our game. You come up with something better. You know, you come yeah. if you can come up with a better system. So that's kind of like my basic on how to educate, you know, how to edu educate my 20 year old self on money yeah. and how it works going back to ancient times till now. Well, well, look at how they are. Um, they're attacking uh, cryptocurrencies, right, which. To some degree, it's almost like a, a printing of money. They're they're finding a way to, yes. to get it offline, away from the government. Yes. And if I, this is my two cents, I'd love to hear your feedback. I don't see how they allow any of these cryptos to replace what's in what's out there currently in terms of currency, yeah. unless they're allowed to have some control over it. Your thoughts? Well, that, yes. Um, well, I ever since I started studying money uh, really intensely, like in, since 2012, 2010, 2012, around there, I began to call these people the money masters. And that's who they are. They're the money masters. And the money masters, all that's been happening, these fluctuations, these wild gyrations in the crypto world, all that is is the money masters... Um, stalling for time to figure out how to tax this system how to take advantage of it they might not be able to take con complete control of it that's why they're throwing around the idea of the the fed coin and all this stuff because they realize the uh the actual efficiency of it because hey you guys have been printing money out of nowhere and charging interest what's the difference between the crypto and and the federal reserve note there is no difference the only difference is that you have complete control of the Federal Reserve note, which we know as the dollar, which represents debt, by the way. It's not, it doesn't represent wealth. It represents debt. Um, and, and you don't have any control over any of these cryptocurrencies that are being produced, and you're mad. So, hey, the people are beginning to speak and figure it out. So you better figure out a way fast to either tax assist. That's what they're doing. They're trying to yeah. figure out a way uh, to absolutely. tax it and, and try yeah. to somehow funnel it towards them again like hey that's our game we told you that already and when they, these guys are like yeah but we don't care we're going to create these cryptocurrencies because we we want it like to open it up to the people and and be free again yeah. you're you're trapping this energy that's not supposed to be trapped like this that's unnatural okay now you've really gotten onto something here i i 100 with you when it comes to like we have disassociated ourselves from the fact that these are all just representations of our energy. Like it, it takes somebody a certain amount of energy, literally life force to do an action. And that action translates into something. If it's growing, it's growing. If it's uh, if it's an animal, it's an animal. It, and then we started creating a unit of measure in in dollars and uh and all of a sudden we lose connection to to the energy that it actually takes to produce some of that and so it's possible for us to 
now have someone on another, on the other side of the world spend an entire month doing a task that we, you know, we get a paper cup that we pay 10 cents for and toss it away like it means nothing. Meanwhile, the amount of energy that it took to produce that one cup goes goes unnoticed. And so um, do you have any thoughts on money as energy? Yeah, no, m money is a representation of our energy. Um, if it takes me, if, when I was working in corrections, if it took me uh, 12 hours out of my day, an hour and 20 to drive up there, do my eight hour shift, get mm -hmm. off, drive an hour and 20. So that's 12 hours of my energy in order to get a paycheck. That's right. And and then yeah. someone had to expend the energy to put, put the figures into the computer. But when you're talking about energy, it, it's even more fascinating when you realize that someone stopped calling uh, money money and they call it currency and they yeah. have these circuit banks, right? Because the currency has to go through the, you know, th through, uh, through these circuits in order to, and then it, the fa the faster, this money has to move fast. It cannot stagnate. That's why they need to lend it out to people. They, they need to yeah. lend money out because the energy has to continue to move and the faster it moves, the more they can bring into them and then they can lend more and just create this giant bubble that's been being created since 1913 uh, when the federal reserve system was created. So right. it, it's energy. All of it is energy. Yes. Right. Well, okay. So l let me just jump back onto what you were talking about with regards to precious metals and that it, why is it that we're right now we're seeing huge stimulus, huge stimulus out there in, in every facet and yet we're watching the uh, the value of precious metal basically, you know, barely moving at all in comparison. Yeah, it's stagnating. I would have I would have imagined. I don't know. I would have imagined that by now gold and silver would have skyrocketed ever mm -hmm. since um, Corona hit last year. Because you knew that that uh, buildings were going to shut down, businesses were going to shut down, people were going to lose their jobs, and so all this, you know, um, chaos was going to happen, and leading to one thing: gold and silver beginning to skyrocket. Right? I mm -hmm. think uh, by certain calculations, silver should have been already like at a thousand dollars per, you know, per coin, and it's mm -hmm. not. It's still it's just stagnating there. It just maybe it'll go up two dollars maybe it'll go down two dollars but why why is it not the money masters man just when you think you have uh you, you know a handle on their philosophy and and uh their tricks they pull another ace out of their sleeve and continue not only that but the stock market keeps going berserk it keeps going up and up another record yeah. high another record high yeah and and but you're telling me that gold and silver is going down because Nobody wants it. No, there's gold and silver in all of our electronics. There's gold and silver in uh, catalytic converters. There's gold and silver in all kinds of stuff. And but you're telling me that it it's not it it's not moving up. Like there's no need for it or something. That what I don't understand. The money masters. That's why they're the money masters. <laughs> you know they, they they've been doing this for far longer than my measly ten years of research. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I I think it, we could probably spend a uh, a lifetime trying to study uh, study this stuff out, and we still wouldn't be able to crack uh, crack all of the the secrets that yeah. are behind all of it. Um, 
Yeah. So uh, obviously there's a lot of different angles there when it comes to money and um, building wealth and that. Um, and you've kind of shared on a number of topics. What What are you doing with yourself these days now? Um, these days, I ever since Corona hit, you know, I, I was already working out. But when Corona hit, I picked it up. I picked it up a notch because I said, you know, the body's a bunch of energy and the immune system needs to be strengthened. So, mm -hmm. you know, I need, I need to up that with my kids, my two boys, my best friend, he brought his boys and we were just working out and reading, you know, getting online, taking courses, uh, finishing up private studies that, that I have, I, you know, continue continuously going within, you mm -hmm. have to go within because if you don't and you're external, then then that's how we're that's how we got into this place. You know, um, a lot of people are divided on the coronavirus. A lot of people are are taking sides and no real questions are being asked, in my opinion, because they refuse to go inside and and um, listen to their intuition like, hey, something's wrong here. Something something is not right here. I don't know who to trust. Oh, I know who to trust me. Let me go in and use a computer and begin to research some of this stuff so I can understand it for myself and not begin to rely on the so-called authorities. Because somewhere along the line, uh, we began to accept the authorities as the truth instead of the truth as the authority for us. Mm -hmm. So I kept myself active that way. I keep myself active that way. Um, I began to work on my podcast uh, along with Wyatt. I took these courses. I got out of my comfort zone. Uh, some of it was very uncomfortable. I challenged myself uh, every day in, in that way. And that's how I've been, you know, staying uh, active these days. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting older. Um, you know, I, I feel myself slow down here and there. You know, I, I don't recover as well as I used to from strenuous exercise, but I still get at it, you know, and every once in a while, you know, when my boys see me, you know, uh, weightlifting and, and doing some stuff. I'm like, yeah, boys, you know, yeah, test it. <laughs> Come and get some. Put you a notice. Yeah. Here's, here's your, your old man. Don't, don't be fooled by the gray hair. Your old man can still do it. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast. Yeah, my podcast is called Masonic Muscle. And the reason why it's called that is because, uh, again, during this pandemic, and the uh, stay-at-home orders, uh, working out and 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 thinking about uh, after the workouts, my buddy and I would sit down and and sometimes he would bring up these questions about masonry, Freemasonry, and and then we'd talk about exercise. Hey, what are we going to do and this and that? And they just began to combine. They began to coalesce. But we through him, my buddy David Perez, um, he's the one that says, "Hey, man." Um, you know, I'm building my better body, you know, and, and through the tools, he's like, I'm a Mason too. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're not a Mason. You know, I'm a Mason. He's like, no. He says, uh, I'm building my better body to using the tools of, of the gym right here. You know, our garage gym that we have, I have a barbell, you know, and we have pulleys, you know, we have dumbbells and we have all this. And through that, I'm building my body. He's like, and aren't you guys Freemasons? Don't you guys get tools to become better men? And I'm like, yeah. He says, yeah. He said, the only difference is that you guys are not physically out there chiseling away and, and building stone structures. And we're here. We're actually here putting in the work, chiseling away at our body 
and molding our body into the way we we want it. And I'm like, you know what? I might make that into a podcast and call it Masonic Muscle, but also it, it on the on the Masonic side, um, we're gonna be talking about and we've been talking about things that uh, um, in Freemasonry we know are not exactly right and you need strength you need strength to be able to face the things for what they are you need strength to be able to face the reality of things so that because until you realize that there's a problem you're not going to change it once you realize there's a problem and you have the strength to face it and acknowledge it for what it is you will be able to move forward and begin to take the steps necessary in order to fix whatever the problem is and do it with uh, with honor and pride, you know, and, and self-respect and build up your self-esteem. So that a, a lot of our conversations will have to do with that as well and Masonic muscle. So so what's the problem that needs to be addressed right now? And where? That that you see that needs to be addressed. Oh, and you're addressing right. through, yeah, through your yeah. podcast. So, okay. Um, well, in the fraternity, there have been things that have been afflicting the fraternity causing the the membership to decline so there's a problem with the retention levels right like here in the state of california we have forty thousand members and it that used to be like eighty thousand a hundred thousand and it doesn't matter what we've what we've tried uh, the we just can't retain members so there's clearly something we're not doing right clearly mm -hmm. At our lodge, we began to change things and we really began to raise the standard, make it more challenging. Um, we we demand a lot of you. And and the people that have come knocking at our doors and have stayed, stay. They stay because of this, because the challenge was what they thought and the um, the mental stimulation as well. Because when, you, when you're talking about Freemasonry and you know a little bit about it, you're automatically intrigued with the, the mystery and the secrets and secret societies and the Knights Templars and where's the gold and where's the Ark of the Covenant and, you know, and, and all this goofy stuff, right? Or is it? Well, you got to have enough strength to be able to, to delve into these things and speculate and, and join in the mystery. Why? Why would you not join into the mystery and take advantage of the controversial aspect of Freemasonry? Why would you not? As long as it's done in a, in a uh, not only respectful, but a um, uh, mature manner, you know, mm -hmm. knowing, letting them know, hey, we're going to speculate because now we're speculative Masons. In the past, we were operative. And then and then soon soon we became operative and speculative. And then all of a sudden we just became speculative, meaning we no longer worked, you know, with with the tools, but we just worked on ourselves. So how are you working on yourselves if you're completely ignoring all these other controversial aspects? You're not. Embrace it. Embrace it. So that's you know that that's some of the stuff that's that I see as far as the fraternity. Wow. Okay. And and how long have you uh, how long have you been a part of the fraternity now? Nineteen years. Nineteen years. Wow. Yes. Um, and and your uh, your friend that you were working out with is yeah. also part of the fraternity. No, he's not. Oh, okay. No, okay. he's not, and he's not okay. that I've been. And and that's the joke. I mean, that's why when he's like, you know, I'm a Mason too. Like, what? <laughs> You talking about you know what's in that beer that i just gave you yeah. <laughs> yeah david is a good guy uh, david perez shout out to david, david perez. perez shout david out perez. brother yeah yeah dave perez wait a minute 
Isn't there a referee named Dave Perez? There Dave might be. Because when I looked him up on Facebook, there was like a thousand, <laughs> two thousand Dave Perez. Because he's like, hey, Dave he's Perez. Like, yeah, he's like, hey, fool, you know, send me a, 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 a friend request. <laughs> I'm all right, you know. So I get on there, you know, dutiful friend. I get on there and all these names, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. And so I keep strolling and strolling and strolling. And you know, the, the little cursor starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller on the side as you're strolling. So, I mean, I, I had to tell him, hey, I looked you up and you're not there. What? Like, man, he's like, no, I'm there, fool. You know, this David yeah. Perez. I go, man, you know how many David Perez? There's like 2,000 or something on Facebook. You go oh. look me up. Yeah. That's what I told him. And he's like, oh, send me a request. So that's how that happened. Shout out to you, David. I, I've got I've got one last question uh, okay. for you. What's in a name? What's in a name, especially with the name like Caesar? There's uh, there's energy, obviously. There's intent uh, behind a name, and the the best way I can describe it is uh, the movie Gladiator, when uh, uh, the uh, the black actor they're, they're getting ready to go out to the Gladiator games again into the Colosseum, and the Emperor um, Commodus knows that Maximus is alive, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're getting ready and they're having a meal, I think, and and. And the black actor looks into Maximus's eyes and he says, you have a great name. He has to kill your name before he kills you. And I resonate with that, right? Because everywhere I go, um, when they when they ask me what my name is, and then I tell my full name, right? Because it's, it's Julio Caesar, but it's Julius Caesar, right? The emperor's name. They're like, whoa. They're like, whoa, like the emperor. I've got that since I was a kid. And so that's really instilled pride in me. And, and uh, you know, when when they say the name, there's there's intent. Right. So it's either. Yeah. Caesar like Caesar. God damn it. You know, it's, it's so it, either either way, there's energy. And, and what's in a name is what people, you know, the intent that they put behind when they say it, because yeah. that's the energy that that's flowing. And so you either make your name great or you don't. Wow. I, I, I asked that question because the moment I first heard your name, I thought that's a powerful name. Thank that's you. A powerful name. And it's a, and it's powerful to, to lit, to try to live into that name. And, uh, I, <laughs> we, we've crossed a lot of different sections here in this conversation. And we, we started out with a little bit about bullying and I, remember <laughs> that when they would bully me as a kid they would make fun of my last name ah, how do you say that and they'd yeah. make fun of it and i went with that for a lot of years and then there came a point where i thought that is my name and it stands yeah. for something and you will not yeah. take that from me and i'd had enough of that and so uh, and i've chosen to live in that power and yeah. and live with that name and i'm going to make that name something and so you embrace it i embraced it absolutely you embraced and it. and my and i have kids so i said my kids are going to how am i going to give them this name i'm going to give it to them with power yeah and so i i ask you that question because it's interesting to think of where your dad brought you from as a kid teaching you uh, to be a pugilist 
yeah. and and uh, and to hear you know really the fighter in you throughout your story is what I is what I heard as mm. as you've shared and um, y- you know it you really do have that name and and I was curious to know how that resonated with you because uh, it, it definitely sounds like you sound like a fighter. I appreciate that. And and right now when you're saying, you know, with, with my dad, you, you forget my mom. Uh, you don't forget. You didn't know. My mom was a stay at home mom for the first 13, 14 years of my life. And and she was tyrannical. There, there was no there, there was no, um, oh, you know, I'm going to go to no, leave my boy alone. You know, there was none of that. There was come here. You know, you did something wrong and she whipped me. Right. And then she say, just wait till your dad gets home. So I'd get two whippings. And the mental abuse. Yeah. Yeah. So can you imagine like now I'm getting bullied at school and I'm like, man, what the hell is going on here? So now I'm going to get three whippings. If, if, if I allow this guy to whip me and I get, take that home and my mom and dad find out they're both going to whip me. So that's three whippings on that day. I better do something now and just start fighting. You know, uh, you know what? Let me start fighting here. And that's how I would go. So my mom was a very uh, strong uh, influence strong female, not your typical mom, because her her grandma that raised her, my great grandmother, came from the uh, Mexican Revolutionary War. She served wow. there in uh, 1910 Mexican Revolutionary War as a nurse assistant that would go out into the battlefield after a, a fresh battle and begin to go attend to all the wounded soldiers, and and she just saw all kinds. So she was like raw and tough and didn't mince any words with anybody that that woman um my mom's grandmother she was ruthless yeah she was tough (laughs) wow yeah i i uh i can't imagine what that was like uh growing up in in uh, the rubio uh household but uh i i can definitely hear the firmness and um I uh, oh, there was I'm... law and order. And, you know, <laughs> there, there was no doubt. Yeah. There was yeah. law and order, and there was no question. Yeah. Let me tell you. Let me put it that way. Yeah, yeah. There's not like sometimes I go to some of my friends' house or other stuff, and and I'm seeing what's going on. And I'm like, like what the, what is this? Like, what? And then growing up too, growing up, going to other, uh, you know, my friends' homes, my teammates or whatever. And seeing some of the stuff, uh, it was an eye opener. I was like, "What is this? This is chaos. This would never go down in my my house. My mom would be up in me, and then my dad next, and then like just everyone just die piling and just you know straighten up, son. You know what the hell? So my, my parents actually, we we moved them just a couple of years ago. We moved them around the corner from us, mm-hmm. and they live right around the corner from us. And um, my kids get to hear stories about their grandma and their grandpa and they can't imagine that these these two <laughs> older I, older folks they did what when i watch my mom and dad interact with my children i am that this, this cannot be the same people this, this can't be the same people that raised me no 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 no, no way <laughs> no way i had to tell my mom one time you know what what, mom what what that you know it just completely the opposite of what how she handled it when i was young you know i was getting the smack upside the head 
you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, throwing I, the, the chanclas, you know, just. One of my kids were was going to get, they were going to get it. Uh, and I remember my mom running over. She was she was at the house. This was some, mm -hmm. uh, a number of years back. And she came, no, 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 don't, don't. And I was like, yeah, who is, Shocking. Who is this? Because yeah. I never saw this lady growing up. Yeah. <laughs> It was all business with me, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. I mean, geez, it was all, yeah. It just, you know, you'd be there on time. You better dress yeah. right. You better, you know, this and that. When we show up to your grandma's, you better say hello and go to your grandpa. I mean, there was a, you know, respect, you know. And, and, and uh, you know what? I got beatings, but I'm, it's because of that, I'm the man that I am today. Yeah yeah well Caesar, thank you so much for uh for your no, time for taking your time you. out and uh joining us on the show today i really appreciate it uh i've really enjoyed being able to uh get some insight into the man the myth uh the legend <laughs> okay of the uh masonic muscle guys if you want to check him out uh where where's the best place to to get more on you and get more of you Right now, as of right now, I'm just on iTunes and Spotify. I'm still going to be, uh, I'm going to start work on my uh, website uh, so that I can interact, you know, with the listeners, but uh, yeah. Spotify and, and uh, iTunes. So if you can go on there, subscribe, give me a, uh, a review. I appreciate that. Yeah, love it. Love it. Well, uh, Caesar, thank you so much again and uh, look forward to, to talking again soon. Thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. And I hope we bring more wealth to all your listeners. Thank you very much.